0: about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire.
1: Peace be with you. Friends, what was it like to be in the same room with Jesus? St. Mark, who's the author of the first gospel, and we're reading from his gospel all during this liturgical cycle, St. Mark is particularly good, I think, at communicating something of the excitement, the awe, and in some cases, the sheer weirdness of being in the presence of the Son of God. I mean, if Jesus was who we say he was, it must have been just something extremely different to be with him. Against all attempts in our contemporary times to domesticate Jesus, to turn him into just one more teacher among many, I would hold up all the Gospels, but especially the Gospel of Mark the scene, which is our gospel for today, is from the opening chapter of Mark. And it gives us, I think, maybe more than any other, this sense of how overwhelming, awe-inspiring, strange it was to be with Jesus. Notice something first. Everything in Mark is fast. The word immediately appears over and over again in his gospel. Nothing's happening slowly. It's not really a meditative gospel. It's an Action gospel. Jesus immediately enters the synagogue and taught. He immediately goes to the house of Simon and heals his mother in law. He immediately leaves and preaches to the crowd. He's a man on a mission throughout Mark's gospel. He moves through his public life, G.K. Chesterton said, like a lightning bolt. It's good, isn't it? You get that sense in all the gospels, but especially in Mark. He's a man on a mission. He knows where he's going, and he does it. Well, one of the things that the Son of God came to do was to teach. That's why he's in a synagogue. At the root of our troubles and our suffering is a deep misunderstanding, a powerful clouding of the mind. Here's what Mark wants us to see now as Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. Listen. The people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Astonished is a pretty strong word. Perhaps you had the sensation in the presence of really charismatic and compelling speakers, you've been struck, overwhelmed, maybe awe inspired by their words. And Jesus certainly had that. But there was more at stake here than simply a charismatic, persuasive speaker. To get at it, we have to understand something of the tenor of the time. When a Jewish rabbi or scribe of Jesus' time would speak, he would do so on the basis of another's authority. He would reference his teacher, another rabbi, Rabbi so-and-so said, and I'm repeating his teaching. The implication is that Rabbi so-and-so had learned it from another rabbi, and he from another, and back and back in time until they finally came to Moses, the teacher of teachers, in their mind the author of the Torah, Moses had received the teaching directly from God. See, so that was always the implication. If you're teaching in a rabbinic tradition, You're appealing to authorities all the way back to Moses and, therefore, to God. Here it's not unlike the way Christian scholastic theologians of the Middle Ages would have taught. Read someone like St. Thomas Aquinas. You'll find a lot of appeals to other great teachers, as Aristotle said, or Plato, or Augustine, or Anselm. Here's what made Jesus' teaching so striking. This is why they were astonished when he taught in the synagogue. I mean, First of all, apart from the content, which was astonishing enough, just look at the Sermon on the Mount. But it was his manner of teaching that so struck them. Why? Why? Because unlike the rabbis and scribes, he did not appeal to Rabbi so-and-so and through a long line of authorities all the way back to Moses. Rather, he taught on his own authority, That's what's striking them. They were astonished, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The word in Greek here is quite instructive for authority. The word is exousia. It means literally ex out of usia, substance. It means out of your own substance, out of your own being, something is coming. We catch some of this in the Gospel of Matthew. When at the commencement of the Sermon on the Mount, we hear Jesus say, You've heard it said, so-and-so, but I say. Well, what he was blithely referencing there was the Torah, the sacred word of God given to Moses on Mount Sinai. You've heard it said there. Well, see, that was the court of final appeal to a Jew of his time, to a rabbi. You've heard it said in the Torah, case closed. Therefore, when he says, you've heard it said there, but I say, what's he claiming? An authority greater than the authority of Moses. This is why, by the way, Jacob Neusner, the great contemporary Jewish scholar, said that even though he admires Jesus, admires many of his sayings, he said, if I were in the crowd on on the mount when he said that, I would have gotten up and left. Because at that moment, he ceased to be a pious Jew. He ceased to be a rabbi in the legitimate sense. Because he was speaking on his own authority. Do you see now why the church juxtaposes our gospel for today with the first reading from the book of Deuteronomy? Moses, who saw God face to face who walked with the Lord, communed personally with him. Nevertheless, in this reading, the first reading, speaks of a prophet like me to whom the people should listen. It's seen as one of the first great messianic prophecies because implicit in the statement is that this prophet would be somehow greater than Moses. But who could be greater? See, here's the question, and it haunted the mind of Israel. Who could be greater than the one who spoke in intimate friendship with God? Who could be greater than the one who received the Torah from the very mouth of God on Mount Sinai? Who could be greater than that? Who would be this prophet that you should listen to greater than Moses? Unless, somehow, that prophet to come was also God himself. See, that's what's implicit in this story. Don't listen to those who say, oh, the Gospel of Mark, that's kind of a low Christology, emphasizing the humanity of Jesus. It's only in the later John Gospel that you find all this stress on Jesus' divinity. Uh Uh-uh. No, no. Right here in this opening story, in the first chapter of the first Gospel, you find a pretty clear affirmation of the divinity of Jesus the one who speaks from his own exousia, his own authority. Now, what does this authoritative voice of Jesus accomplish? Clarification of mind, to be sure. You know What he was teaching in the synagogue is probably reflected in the Sermon on the Mount, other parts of other Gospels, where we hear some of the content of Jesus preaching. Certainly that was going on. Certainly he was clarifying people's minds. But there's more. In the synagogue, we hear, there was a man with an unclean spirit. Now, this will be a topic for a sermon some other day, but isn't it kind of interesting that the first unclean spirit that Jesus confronts is in the holy place. It's in the place of worship. The first demon he confronts is in a religious setting. Hmm. Interesting. I'll come back to it maybe someday. Bob Dylan said, The enemy I see wears the cloak of decency. And it always goes that way, doesn't it? Or often goes that way. Anyway, what marks this man? Though he's a single person, an individual, he speaks in the plural. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? It's very telling, isn't it? The diabolic is literally a scattering power. Diabolin in Greek means to cast apart, to throw apart. Sin separates us from each other. Zunda is the German word. It means uh, sin. It's related to sundering in English, to divide. But see, sin also divides us interiorly, setting one part of the self against another. It divides the personality, the person, the psyche, the mind. We've all experienced this, haven't we, we sinners? Our minds are divided. Our wills are split. Our emotions militate against our deepest convictions, etc., I look inside and I see something of a jumble. See, that's the diabolic, the divisive, the scattering power. The point of this gospel, I think, is it's the authoritative voice of Jesus that brings him back to himself. Jesus speaks, he commands, and the man comes back to himself. See, friends, this is precisely the effect that the voice of Jesus has had up and down the ages. Think of the voice of Jesus now, that authoritative voice carried by the church in its scriptures, in its liturgy, in its official teaching. It's that authoritative voice of Jesus that echoes through the church down the ages. When you allow that word to reach deep down within you, what happens is you are knitted back together. When Jesus and his voice become the center of your life, then your mind and your will, your emotions, your private life, your public life, all of it, finds a harmony around that center. See, listen today as you hear this gospel. Listen to Jesus' own voice echoing in your own heart, bringing you back to harmony. The people in Capernaum synagogue got the connection between Jesus' speech and his action. Listen. All were amazed and asked one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. They got it, didn't they? The link between the voice and the action. I know there are lots of voices that are competing for our attention. Think of all the means of communication we have now. They're all carrying voices to us from academe, from the mass media, from exercise and health gurus, from avatars of the new age. Take your pick. Don't listen to them. At least don't listen to them as though they are the prime determining voice of your life. Rather, this gospel is saying listen to the voice which speaks with authority. The voice that can heal the splits, both inner and outer, that bedevil us. Speak, listen to that voice, rather, and find your peace. And God bless you.
0: I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor, here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Four years in the making, and it's finally here.
1: Our new Catholicism documentary series, book, and study program are now available to order online at catholicismseries.com. Will you help me introduce this epic film series to your parish, school, family, and friends? Catholicism is an unprecedented adventure around the world and deep into the faith. Learn more at Catholicismseries.com or call 1866 928 1237 That's 1866 928 1237